There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, and welcome back to Talking Companies. I'm Phil Muscatello. And I'm Mark Tobin. And today we're focusing on Gnosis Limited, ASX code KNO. A software-as-a-service information technology company that develops, licenses and sells computer software in Australia, the United States and New Zealand. The company provides Knowledge IQ, a knowledge management solution, Libero, a library management solution, and Green Orbit, an intranet solution that delivers a digital workplace. John Thompson is the MD, CEO and Executive Director of Gnosis. Mr. Thompson has an extensive background in intelligent transportation and wireless solutions with many years of experience managing technology-based companies in Australia, the UK and the US. John, you must have lived through many revolutions in electronics and solid-state technology. Yes, uh, Phil, that's correct. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be involved, particularly in the beginning of wireless particularly wireless data, back from GPRS times to where we're now at 5G. So it's been an interesting transformation, both from communications, but also how that communications has driven applications and the movement of data. It's just been tremendous over the last 10 years. Because that uh, movement of data, I actually in a past life worked a little bit in uh, communications technology and um, how many tall buildings in cities were where masts were held and so data could be transferred via RF, radio frequency in those days. That's correct, yes. I mean, back in the early days, there were certainly more towers. The technology wasn't that uh, advanced where it could get the coverage. But now when you look at the speeds that you can get, and it's really transformed um, really when you think, particularly applications. Originally, people didn't really sign up to streaming applications because the technology was too slow, unreliable. But that communication advancement over the past decade has meant that you know things didn't have to be standalone anymore. People were quite willing to have things streamed to them, whatever the application may be. So give us a quick overview of Gnosis for those who might be new to the story. Yeah, certainly. So Gnosis, as you said, is fundamentally a software as a service company. Our mission really is to enable businesses and organisations to have smarter, better connections to their information assets. And those assets can be documents, it could be procedures, processes within their organisation. And we do that through our solutions. So we offer two primary solutions, our knowledge management solution, which is generally used in contact centres to help agents engage with customers who want to call in or if they're accessing through their websites, etc. The other solution is our Green Orbit Internet solution. That is very much internally focused. It's about helping businesses staff to collaborate work with each other in a simpler environment and an engaging environment for them. John, we've seen a few new contracts and extensions which your existing customers announced over the last few months. Are people, you know, finally pushing the go button after COVID? You know, these deals may have come in the normal run of things uh, a bit earlier. And, you know, what's the kind of sales 
cycle you know should we be expecting more contracts to come through now that we hopefully are kind of past COVID and everybody's kind of refocused on day-to-day business instead of trying to manage around COVID? I think that's exactly right. During COVID, we saw a number of companies and number of opportunities make decisions to halt projects or procurements because of the uncertainty of what was happening with COVID. We have certainly saw really the last quarter of uh, 2021, a number of knowledge management tenders came out and that also continued in the first quarter of 22 as well. And we were really fortunate to you know, we bid about four projects um, during that period and we managed to win three of them and we're still waiting to hear on the fourth one. And as we sit here today, we have another, another two or three knowledge management contracts going to hit the market in the coming months and we hope to have some success in this next round. So you're quite correct. I think there's pent-up demand and what we're seeing now is companies, you know, releasing the purse strings and wishing to acquire those technology platforms. And in terms of those tenders when they do come out, because um, I know you, you know, deal a lot with, you know, state governments and, and state agencies, federal agencies, as well as uh, um, big corporates. But who are you kind of going up against them? I mean, who are the kind of competitors that, you know, you're pitching against um, when one of these tenders comes to market or request for a proposal comes to market? Yeah, look, it does depend upon the size of the opportunity, but generally there's one other local competitor here in uh, Australia out of Sydney, a company called LivePro. The other two main competitors we come against are Verant, which is a big US conglomerate, and another US-Canadian uh, uh, venture called Highlands. And once again, they generally come on board when the opportunity is a little bit larger, but they're the three that we generally compete against in the Australian-New Zealand market. I think we do pretty well against particularly the overseas uh, KM providers, as we've seen in the recent tenders. So for listeners who don't understand what's going on in this space at the moment, what are the needs that uh, Gnosis has identified? What are those needs and um, what are you providing solutions for? A lot of our solutions are primarily around consistency. And to give you an example, we saw during COVID, obviously a lot of interactions with businesses was done online or remotely, generally through their websites, their chatbots, etc. But there still is a segment of the market that likes to speak to someone. And I think a lot of companies have seen this over the past decade, you know, when there's that process of offshoring call centres and things of that nature 10 years ago, there's a trend now to bring them back because companies need to engage with their customers, not only digitally for, let's say, the younger generation who are used to engaging, interacting on their mobile phones, but there's also a segment of the market that still wants a face-to-face or to be able to call and speak with someone. So... Our solution, our KM solution in particular, is designed to make sure that the interactions between an agent and a customer, what information is being provided, what document may be sent to that customer, is the same material, the same advice they get if they engage through a chatbot or if they walk into a branch office. So it's about consistency. A lot of our customers are in highly regulated markets such as financial services or telcos, and they've got obligations to make sure that people's 
their interaction with the business is the same, irrespective of the channel. So the KM is really a single source of truth. So it sits behind all of those channel pathways and makes sure the engagement is the same, accurate, consistent, and efficient. And it's about productivity. You know, how do you answer that question? Help a customer get to their resolution as quickly as possible. So that's the key theme in that KM space. In the internet space, it's obviously about very similar, making sure that all your employees are utilising the the same information, following the same processes. Have the ability to ask someone a tricky question and have that person mentor them or give them advice. So it's all about productivity, accuracy, consistency. But the big thing is there's lots of information there. Every company has massive amounts of documents or articles. How do you make sure that everyone's using the right one? So that governance, information governance, is a real key to make sure that if you're a financial firm, your new financial offering to the market, PDS, is the one that is current and not an older version or an incorrect version. So making sure that material is presented to people as opposed to them searching for it is a key aspect to really all our solutions. Um, It's about, you know, we try to say a bit like a Netflix experience. How do you personalise the people's experience based on their past requests or their past usage of information and articles? So they're the key aspects to our our platforms that we offer. I'm particularly interested in the case study of the Victorian Office of Public Prosecutions. So there's a lot of data to manage and the sources have to be trustworthy because it's serious criminal matters. Tell us about the Knowledge IQ implementation in that case. You looked, I think that's a really good example of a knowledge management solution being used to present what the senior people within OPP, their knowledge, their experience of how to manage cases and types of cases. And how do you share that information? You may have six senior people and you've got a department of 30 junior lawyers, etc. They use the platform to really get the senior people to write articles, give advice and everything stored in the one platform that enables those junior lawyers, instead of having to talk to them individually, they go to the solution and read through the advice given by those senior lawyers within OPP. So that was very much a case of knowledge management being used to take the knowledge within a person's mind, their experience, and make it available to a broader group of people within the organisation and get consistency. Because what they wanted was, you know, with a one lawyer or this lawyer two or three, if they're prosecuting a particular case or crime, that it's done in the same way. So they get that consistency across their organisation. John, most of the companies that you deal with, they're kind of on that on that scale of, you know, what we were just talking about with the, the public prosecutions in Victoria. You know, it's kind of your larger firms I guess people who run their own businesses, uh, you know, small micro businesses aren't going to really encounter your solutions. But in terms of giving us an idea of the size of businesses that you tend to deal with and then just how, if we can step from that then to how contracts are generally signed for, you know, is it multi-year, one year, and then how they, you know, pay for their licenses on a per seat basis or, you know, just kind of a company-wide one with a band where, Okay, unless you add another 50 employees, that's kind of the set rate for the year or the length of the contract. 
Yeah, that's a good question. So in the knowledge management space, we have a small number of customers, but they're generally larger customers. And they're normally enterprises that can have anywhere from, you know, a thousand users to our largest customer, which is ANZ, which is just close to 30,000 users. So they're, they're a much more complex company, hence the reason they are looking for a knowledge management platform. And we generally find that KM normally resides within companies that are in 500 employees and above, going into the tens of thousands. With Green Orbit being more an internal employee-orientated solution, that generally operates in the range of about once again, 300 people within the organisation to as much as our largest customer in that space is about 15,000 users. So yes, you're quite correct. It's not a small business uh, solution where you may only have um, less than 50 people within your business. Generally, we start around that 300, 500 person organisation and they are the ones that see the value because the value of the solution is about improving productivity, they probably have more complex interactions with their customers or internal. So they need these solutions to help with that complexity within their business. In terms of the contract size and method of selling, look, generally we've really rolled over to a subscription-based model for all of our solutions. Historically, we probably did more license for the company. Um, they could put as many users as they wished on it. But we went through a process uh, about four years ago of transforming into a SaaS provider. We host the solutions in the cloud for our customers. Some people share infrastructure, multi-tenant, so better pricing model for that. But then a lot of our larger customers want their own instance in the cloud for security reasons. But all of them have the same model, which is we charge a license fee per month, per user. And that's the model that we currently deploy our solution with. And then in terms of seasonality, we're coming up to financial year end now, the end of the Muslim Renew, 1 July, or is it following their budgeting, I guess, process? Or is it literally, you know, we signed a contract in August. It could easily have been February. It could have easily been April. I'm just trying to get a sense between the halves or the quarters is one uh, kind of a standout one for renewals. Yeah, look, uh, the rounties are quite correct. Uh, we we sign up customers every month of the year. So a, an organization's contract can commence in any month during the year. What we generally find is in knowledge management, they're generally three-year to five-year fixed-term contracts which then transition to some form of extension. You've seen that with Optus as an example that we announced recently where we were initially with them for five years and we've extended that contract for a further two years. And that's generally how the knowledge management ones work. In the Green Orbit intranet, generally we try to get an initial term of two to three years and then they transfer to an annual renewal type process. So most of our customers in Green Orbit are on annual renewals, except for some of the larger ones. You know, there's probably the top five to 10, which are currently on three-year type arrangements. John, you mentioned KM a couple of times. That's obviously knowledge management. Is that the case? That's correct. Yes. And that's kind of like an umbrella term for this space that you're operating in. That's correct. Yes. Uh, okay. And uh, Green Orbit, one of your customers is Harvey Norman. 
Can you tell us a little bit about that? And I just wanted to preface this by saying it sounds like what you're trying to do, it's not only managing knowledge, but it's also encapsulating culture as well. Yes, and that's one of the reasons as a company we like to think of ourselves as having a portfolio of solutions. So we have our knowledge management solution, which, as I said, is more about how an organisation engages with their customers. And the internet is very much about internal communications, collaboration, improving a person's ability to work within your organisation. So that gets down to your comment relative to the culture. The Green Orbit platform is generally, from a business point of view, owned by people in culture within the organisation or in the old days it was probably called HR and in some organisations still is and the communications and marketing team. So it's very much about providing an environment that makes people feel a part of the company, particularly useful during COVID when everyone's working remotely. But we still see it even now. The effects of post-COVID haven't diminished. Uh, A lot of organisations still have hybrid working models. So how do you engage with your employees? And that's where the Green Orbit solution really comes in because it provides a platform where they can chat with one another. What's the latest news? What's happening within the organisation? CEOs like myself can use it as a comms platform to try and you know, spell what the strategy is for the business going forward and things of that nature. So, yeah, it's a really useful thing. That particular solution, that can exist in any company. You don't have to be in financial services or manufacturing. Our customer base in that platform is very diverse, uh, which is really good. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And so tell us about Libro and the strategy behind the recent acquisition. Yeah, look, the Libro, which is our recent acquisition, which was um, towards the end of last year, is predominantly an information management solution dedicated towards the library space. Most people probably don't realise it, but libraries are actually quite complex in how they operate. And uh, the Libero solution firstly started out by helping to automate the processes within the library. You know, how, how a librarian or how you as a member check out in the old days, it was books. But as we all know, the libraries have transformed themselves now. They're a place of engagement where they hold events and functions. So the library management solution actually broadened over the past decade to include a lot of member services, uh, managing events, as well as still doing the nuts and bolts of lending and borrowing, but adding these additional capabilities to the platform. But in particular where it's really transformed, and this was before COVID, is a lot of engagement with libraries changed from the physical engagement to people coming in via their websites or mobile apps to access resources. And resources themselves have changed from the hard copies to the e-books to the e-resources. And so the library management system had to evolve and manages that process of members 
accessing e-resources, e-books, borrowings. And that's the reason that we acquired that particular solution because it's about giving that experience to the members, you know. So it remembers what they use, it provides recommendations. So it really fits within what we're trying to do with the other solutions, which is make it more an engaging solution for people that they can get um, more out of the interaction with the business that has acquired our solution. So we've had that now for just on nine months as such. We're just finishing off the integration aspects with it. And we're going to probably in the next six months have a really big push, uh, not only in Australia and New Zealand in terms of expanding on new customers, but also in Germany as well, where we have quite a large customer base of over 60 academic libraries using the solution in that region. So we see a lot of potential for growth in the product and we're investing over the next 12, 18 months, not only in sales and marketing, but really pushing the boundaries of the solution itself with regards to features. And the beauty of this is we're going to use some of the technology that we use in our other platforms and bring it into this particular solution, such as you know a quicker, far more intelligent search capability using more machine learning and AI than currently exists within it. So we've got a lot of new things to add to this platform from some of our other solutions and our experience. So yeah, we're really thrilled to have this make the third pillar of our solution. So overall, we've got really three fantastic information management, very engaging SaaS solutions. John, you uh, follow on from the acquisition, and that's obviously driving growth. And given the current market environment, especially for technology companies, you've been investing a lot in growth. And you know, investors now seem to be very focused on profits for technology companies, all the way from Netflix uh, down the, the full scale of companies. How are you thinking about you know balancing you know growth? initiatives and the capital it requires and indeed you know just spend on R&D to you know bring in these new features or integrate across the platforms versus you know trying to show investors that you know you can grow sustainably and profitably. Mm -hmm. Yes look we we set our company strategy for the next three years September last year we sat down and went through quite a strategic review. And the outcome of that review was, I think you put it really well, it's a balanced growth strategy that we've put in place. Um, anyone who's followed the company realises that, you know, as a business, you know, we have not been to the market frequently and regularly to raise working capital. We've always been quite prudent in our operations managing our expense base versus our revenue coming in. And if people take the time to look through the history, they will see that. And we decided that the market was, as you say, very focused on growth, revenue growth. And we have seen the change in that over the past really six months where I think people are looking for still growth, but it managed in a sustainable way in terms of is it funded through existing cash flow, existing reserves, or is the organisation got to keep coming back to the market to raise money to fund its growth strategy? So our growth strategy is really focused upon, based upon our own cash flows. It's been scaled and scoped so that we don't need to go to the market as we sit here to raise money to implement it. We have significantly upped our expense in sales and marketing and also in product development R&D over the last 
nine months in reality. And we continue to do that as we go forward. Most of our investment was focused for FY22. The increase in spend in those areas will diminish in FY23 and 24. So we basically went to scale up in 22 and we're looking for the results of those investments to start hitting in terms of more growth at the revenue line, but also from a profitability point of view, that that will improve over the next two years as well. And look, the reality is we're in that position, and I think a lot of companies are, if people want profitability, we could be profitable tomorrow. It's as simple as that. But in achieving that, obviously our growth rate will decline in terms of increasing revenue. Do people want to invest in a $10 million annual recurring business, which is making $1 or $2 million? Or are they looking for a business that will be 30, 50 million in the next, you know, two, three, four years and therefore get better return from that model? So we're comfortable in the fact we know we can be profitable if we wanted to virtually in an instance. But we at the moment are looking to just keep growing that top line, the revenue line, and to our neck, we work on steps. So we wanted to get to 10 million and we're we're going to be really close to that shortly. And the next hurdle for us is, well, how do we get to 15 million? How do we get to 20 million in recurring revenue? And that's what we're planning in this growth strategy to set the company up for that, it is. And uh, in the last acquisition for Libro, we did that using predominantly our own cash reserves. It was pretty much uh, 75% uh, cash and 25% equity. So we're able to fund that internally. So our view at the moment is we're pretty comfortable with the solutions we've got. We're always on the lookout for another opportunity, but we're very focused on the three we've got and how we expand their markets and get more revenue from it. Whilst not, let's say, we would never consider dropping into losses of two, three, four, five million. That's not our roadmap. It's not our game plan we would have to go to the market and raise significant capital. So we're taking a more conservative, balanced approach between growth and our underlying profitability from that point of view. And then just uh, another question on growth um, with the, the Libero acquisition. It's also kind of moved you more out of just being an ANZ focused company. Um, you know, it's given it more international flavor in terms of earnings and revenue. Can you maybe just talk a bit about you know, where you see that evolving over the next few years in terms of the revenue split coming from the US, you talked about, you know, really trying to grow the German market, but also the North American market where the Libro team is based in um, North Carolina, if I remember correctly. And is there a possibility to get a bit more traction with the Green Orbit and KM solutions in these markets, you know, once you've kind of established yourself as the kind of um, new owner and, hey, this is some of our other offerings we can bring to this market. Yes, that's right. The acquisitions are really before both the Green Orbit and the Libero acquisitions. Uh, Gnosis was very much predominantly Australian, New Zealand focused. Those acquisitions have opened up offshore opportunities. In particular, a Green Orbit was very strong and is still very strong in the US, and that's where we have an operation of about uh, eight people as we sit here today. 
So that's really good. The Libero acquisition, it was relatively strong in Germany. So that provided us the opportunity now to expand in the sort of Germany, Deutsche region over there, which is our aim over the next um, 12, 24 months. The reason we did this was obvious. I mean, we could have gone to the US with our KM and it would have been very much green fields. You know, we have no presence, we have no people in the country. And despite what people say, countries are very parochial still in terms of their purchasing decisions and they like to buy from organisations that have a local presence of some nature. Now, you can do that through, you know, a distributor or through a reseller, but our solutions are, you know, pretty um, niche and unique and therefore they really require us to be involved with them. So our model at the moment is very much a direct sales model. We are looking at how we can expand the channels with those sales, particularly in the US. We would like to obviously take the knowledge management product because that, uh, you know, we are beating US corporations in that space in Australia. There shouldn't be any reason why we can't be successful over there with the KM in Germany because of language differences. It's more about the adjacent countries. You know, when I think of a Libero, very strong in Germany, but I look at the surrounding countries such as Switzerland, Northern Italy, Austria, the platform is designed from a language point of view, from how it works to suit, you know, those regions. And that's the low-hanging fruit for us over the next 12, 24 months is to expand into those neighbouring countries for Libero. In the US is to expand the Green Orbit solution amongst its existing customers. You know, we've got plenty of them as references, but also now to introduce knowledge management into the US and really try and push that for additional sales. So the acquisitions were for technology, but they were also for giving us a footprint in regions so we weren't starting from scratch. Because there's nothing wrong with starting from scratch, it just takes a long time generally. I've seen organisations spend five years to break into the US as an example, which is perfectly fine, but you need to fund that. So we decided to use the acquisitions to provide entry to greater geographic markets. So one final question, John. And when I put this question together, I talked about productivity tools. But now after talking to you, I realise that this is something which is far more nuanced than just a simple productivity tool. If you could get your crystal ball out now, how do you see the future of these kind of management systems? Uh, Look, I think, and we're starting to see it now realistically, is... Some years ago, people were always talking about, you know, providing employees, staff, a single application where they could do everything, you know, from within that application. And that was really hard to do from a technology point of view uh, because of multiple vendors and things like that. But with the advent over, you know, well, I won't say 10 years, probably 15 years of people opening up the platforms it means that integrations are now more possible than ever before. And I'll give you an example. If we take Green Orbit, it's great at doing those communications internally with an organisation. But the reality is what people are looking for is they want the employee just to go to the internet and they want them to be able to apply for leave. They want them to look up things relative to their payroll. So that single front view of the business from an employee point of view, is now more possible than it ever was before. And the internet technologies 
are really attuned now to doing that as being the front of house application for employees. So integrations with you know payroll systems such as ADP, particularly in the US as an example, means that they can transact from within that application. They don't have to go and launch the ADP application as an example. And learning systems is another area that we're seeing. People have LMSs to you know, understand the competency of their employees. Well, once again, they would like to do it from within the one really user-friendly application. And we're seeing the integration of platforms is really being the way forward. So you have to have a really good application interface and API, which you know we have within our platforms and have spent a lot of money evolving them over the past really three years. And we see that that's the key is integrations so that uh, applications can work more friendly. Now, Microsoft obviously has that capability because all of its applications are provided by Microsoft. We're talking here about integrating with multiple vendors and uh, providing that capability. So uh, that's really where we see particularly the internet space. Knowledge management, really similar to a degree in terms of we've started to see this with some of our government agencies, particularly some of the service agencies. They initially want the solution to drive their contact centres, their support teams, but now they're connecting it up to their chatbots, connecting it up to their websites, connecting it up to their kiosks, and they want the system to integrate with these platforms and you know share the information. So integration is a real big part of all the solutions. And Libero is the same thing. Libero started out by what the library's assets were at a particular library. Now they've got community of libraries. So when you jump on the application, you can see that you're looking for something, but that happens to be located in another library that's part of the community type thing. There are very large groups at the moment that are cataloging e-resources. So integrating with those groups so that you can provide members with access to that material in its various forms, audio, visual, textual, is a really key aspect. So the really future, I think, with software at the moment is the ability to integrate with others is the key thing. And John, just a final question for me, because I, I know, you know, you do work with a lot of government customers where they're, as I said before, government agencies or state or federal government as a standalone. But uh, we've just had the election. We've had a change in government. Um, is that a positive, a negative, a neutral for Gnosis? Or, or how do you look at the, the recent change? Look, we were, we were obviously in negotiations during the uh, six weeks lead up to the election. So we had a lot of questions with some of the agencies in terms of funding and uh, what could or could not happen. We were fortunate that uh, we only received positive feedback from the agencies that their programs and their projects were already funded and therefore going to occur and things like that. The outcome of the election, well, we, you know, as I sit here, we're seeing more tenders released. So it doesn't seem to have impacted the decisions by various government agencies to go ahead with projects from our point of view. So um, you may call that a neutral position in that agencies are still able to get funding to acquire solutions like ourselves. And that seems to be just continuing under the current government. 
as it did under the previous one. John Thompson, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, John. Companies interviewed for this podcast have contributed to the cost of production. This should not be construed as sponsorship or endorsement. The role of this podcast is to convey the company's story. All listeners must seek advice from an ASIC-licensed finance professional before making any investment in these companies. Listeners are required to do their own research and due diligence in conjunction with the relevant advice from your ASIC-licensed finance professional. Participation by companies in the podcast does not suggest or imply any sort of recommendation about the companies being interviewed. Nothing in the podcast is to be considered general or personal financial advice in any way, shape or form. All company interviews are for informational and educational educational purposes only. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.